welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Last Podcast. Rick Roberts here with an after-school special episode. I had a few students stick around after a recent writing class, and I picked my brain about a few topics, topics that I think you will find interesting. Uh, we covered a few things today. Primarily, we talked about audiences. You know, how do you find your audience? How do you find your niche? What do audiences expect from you? We also talk about how to get into comedy when you're a little bit older, what the expectations are like. We talk about political correctness and how it's kind of overtaken the comedy scene today and what you can do as a comedian to make the most out of your set without having uh, pushback when you don't want it. If you want pushback, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. But we also talk about how you can strategically disarm the audience by uh, the way you approach your material. And a lot of that just comes down to your intention with your material, making that clear to the audience. So we'll get into that here in just a second. They want to say thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Scott Love, from the Washington, D.C. area, taking the online class right now. Thank you, Scott, for doing that, which in turn allows this podcast to continue. If you're interested in taking the online class, I have a special going on for the Silver Edition right now, 20% off just by using the coupon code, all capital letters, Better Comedy, all right in a row, no spaces. Better Comedy, all caps. You can find out more about that class at schooloflast.com. Click on the online class tab, and uh, you'll learn more about that. I'll tell you more about upcoming shows where I can hang out with you potentially, and I'm going to close out with a cool quote today I heard recently that will help you maybe in your comedy as well. But right now, let's get right into this episode, the After School Special. All right, so I'm after the writing class. I've got Michael here. Michael, what is your question? My question is about how do you play to your audience? How do you gear your material based on the audience you're about to perform for? And the example uh, that comes to mind would be uh, like the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, a bunch of middle-aged white guys. And if you looked at the crowd that they were playing to, it kind of represented the performers on stage. The same goes for the kings of comedies uh, a bunch of middle-aged black guys and if you look at the audience it kind of we kind of um represented it kind of uh very similar to the uh comedians that were performing so if you're going to a club or an event and you're putting on how do you know what type of material should you have or will you find out when you see the audience or is that something that the club owner or the promoter is going to make you wear before you get there that's a great question and so a couple things happen initially. When, when you start comedy, it's going to be impossible to please all the audiences for sure. And it can be real eye-opener when you get on stage and you look at and the people don't look like you. Or they're maybe all female or they might be all of a different race or what have you. I mean, you'll probably see them when they're seat in the room and you may have attended a show to see what the audience looks like. But your tendency probably as, as a new comedian is I need to write material for this group. And then the next week, oh, there's a different group. I got to write a joke for them. When in reality is all the time you need to be talking about what is true to you and what makes sense to you and what doesn't make sense to you. And you explore that through comedy 
what happens over time is what, what you mentioned with the blue collar guys and with the kings of comedy is they had such a, a distinct point of view that they had fans gravitate to them. Okay. And even even a more specific example, like Dennis Miller. When Dennis Miller started, I guarantee 95% of the crowd was like, what? I'm not a political guy. I'm not going to come see him again. But that 5% told their friends, and the next time he came back, it was 10% of the crowd. And then once he got on Saturday Night Live or had his first special, people knew this is what to expect. And then he would show up to an audience that knew they were all his fans. And so that they were told, and that's what happened with the blue collar guys. Each of those had headlining careers in the comedy clubs on their own. And then when they formed the, the superpower of the four of them, all those fans came together. And, you know, there was nuances, but you know, there's a big difference between Ron White and Larry the Cable Guy. Yes. There's a, a more similarity between Ingvall and Foxworthy, right? They're more for, family oriented. But on the extremes, you had Larry the Cable Guy, who was quick jokes and real country character bumpkin kind of guy. And Ron White, who was the the smart, well, every joke was very well written. Yes. You know, it wasn't maybe as cheesy or as corny or as quick as some of the cable guy stuff. So they all brought their audiences together. But the the common denominator was the southern or the redneck or the country kind of experience. Same thing with the kings of comedy. You know, Bernie Mac had a very different style than Steve Harvey. Yes. So they brought those audiences together and they could appreciate the other comics. I don't think... Any one comic for either of those groups would would frustrate the audience member so much they would leave. Like, I can't stand this guy. I'm not even going to stick around for the other three. It was close enough in style and, and the material, but it was delivered in different ways. Okay. So what happens when you first start is you don't know, if, especially if you've never been on stage yet, you don't know who your audience is or how it's going to resonate. But what you'll hear is, no matter where I go, this joke works every time. That's a joke you keep because it worked with an all-white audience, an all-whatever-mixed-race audience, or an all-guys or all-gals. This is material that's true no matter where I go. And so you, you try to get in tune with that to where you build more of that kind of material. And eventually, I mean, maybe universal enough to where anybody can be in the audience. You know, Brian Regan's pretty universal. Jim Gaffigan's pretty universal. Um, so it's not to say that Anybody from any race couldn't come to enjoy that show, but it's really the material and your point of view is what they're coming to hear and see. And and so that digs into like a second layer of, of niches. You know, once you get so far into comedy, you'll notice that there is one specific group out of many that really like what you're doing and, or really like your particular style. For instance, my thing that I found out about 10 years into it is people who want a clean show like my show. People who came just to see a show, I could engage them. But when they came just to see a clean show, they really loved it. So then the bell started going off. I should do more corporate events and fundraisers where where they only want clean comedy most of the time. There's exceptions, but where they'll appreciate what I do, and I don't have to be in a comedy club. I can go and do one show, and that the pay will equal you know one or two weeks at a club. But it's my audience. Then the third caveat I'll throw in there is I'm aware enough that I don't want to go to only the people who dig what I do every single time because I need to make sure my jokes are true everywhere all the time. So I do shows in churches or corporate events. I still dip my toe in the comedy clubs. The jokes have to work in all those places for me. I think there's a there are some some niche comedians 
I think there's probably some women ministry comedians who don't step out of that, and when they do, it's not as comfortable because maybe the material is so defined by their audience and not themselves. Maybe I know for sure there are there's Christian guy comedians who I don't think they've stepped foot in a club since they found success in the churches because why would they? They're so loved when they go in front of their sold out shows that I'm afraid to fail again in a small comedy club on a Tuesday. It's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you want to be who you are all the time. The group will find you if you're good enough and if you make enough noise. And then I think you got to be aware not to only play to that crowd solely or else you may be tricking yourself into thinking something's funny that's not. And that's not a deal breaker. It's just one of those things I want to be aware that the joke plays wherever. You mentioned Dennis Miller er- earlier um, went into political jokes, and then only a f- few percentage of his crowd liked him. But that percentage told their friends, and then more came, and the more came. Then all he had was political jokes, and political fans f- flooded the uh, comedy shows and the events and the arenas he was in. And that's his niche. How long does it take a comedian to actually find what it is that their niche is, what they're good at? Yeah, it can it can take forever. I know comics that are still doing clubs that started when I did that have not figured it out. They just assume their niche is working comedy clubs, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And a comedy club is, is really, it's a great Petri dish of all kinds of people. It should be. You know, even if you are in one city, typically the Wednesday night is, is one radio station, might be the country station. The Thursday night is more the, the dance mix, younger crowd. So you're going to have to be able to appeal to a lot of different audiences. But that's just that's a very broad spectrum. It's not a specific like a niche. So I know people that have never figured it out, or some that never wanted to. They just want to go do the clubs or whatever, and that's that's there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think after you have, you know, a solid 35, 40 minutes, once you start getting to where you're on stage for a duration, you'll start to notice what people that some people react to you a lot and come back to your shows a lot and, and buy your merchandise a lot. You know, typically they won't buy a CD or a DVD unless they really liked you. Because gotcha. let's be honest, who listens to a comedy CD more than once? I mean, I, listen, I record one, I listen to make sure there's no skips, and then I put it out. But people who really love you will come back week in and week out. Yes. So it, it all takes time. The one shortcut, if I could say there could possibly be one, is if you're starting a little later in life, and you are 44, 44 and you have a background as an paramedic so you have valuable life experience in a bank oh, yeah. of 20 some odd years have you been doing emt that whole time i've been doing fire and ems for 16 okay so you have so many stories and you know you have your own shorthand your own code your own lingo oh, yes what i would advi- advise anybody that has a, a background like that is you know we've got a lady here that does real estate one that's in education um there's, there's knowledge you have that is so specific that there's a conference. I know for, like, I've performed at 911s and first responders conferences and next gen, you know, technology conferences all based around your industry. They would love to have somebody that is, you know, you'd be the world's funniest EMT. You know, you wouldn't want him doing this while he's working on you on the side of the road, but on stage, he's killing, you know. And, and that can give you a place to start. You still might tell stories on stage about your family about your spouse, your significant other, all those things. But there's enough material in there about being an EMT that keeps them coming back. And you can be the go-to person. There's people in every single industry. I know people that are in education that, um, whether there's two guys that jump out right now that, that were principals 
and then they got into entertainment, but they have all that knowledge. You know, Eddie B is a guy you should look at if you're in education. You know about Eddie B? Um, there's some there's some other guys I know that do music stuff, but but they have that background. And so you've got a built-in you know amount of material in you if you want to pursue that market. Doesn't mean you have to. You might not want to ever hang around EMTs if you're with them all the time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But there is a specific place that they meet in every state when new regulations come out. They have to meet. They have to keep up their training. They have a budget for speakers. You could be that speaker slash comedian. And you may never have to really get into a comedy club besides just to try out some jokes. You might have to go on the road and do comedy clubs at all. There's those opportunities out there. Okay. That makes sense? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Thank you, sir. Good stuff. All right, you want to come up next? All right. Just tell us who you are and jump into the question if you want. All right. Well, my name is June, and... um. One of the questions that I had bouncing around in my head was um, the fact that I am a woman and I know what women think is funny. Um, but I want to be able to write in a way that appeals to both male and female audiences. So I wondered if there's any um, taboo topics or any tips on I, I've seen where women are cracking up at women, but you can see the kind of confused or uncomfortable look on the man's face. And That's our default face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I wondered if there was anything, you know, specific that um, as a, you know, a male and, and comedian that maybe makes you uncomfortable when women joke about it or if there is an area that we should steer clear of. Yeah, I, you know, I thought about this a little bit and that, to me, if it's funny, it's funny, period. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't matter. But the the bottom line is, and it kind of goes to what Michael was saying, is knowing your audience and knowing that you need to keep your entire audience involved all the time. So the the easiest way to answer it was would be you, you would know on stage from looking at the audience at what guys are like squeamish about or not right. laughing. And if, if, if that takes away enough of the laugh that you don't want to do it, then you might find something else. But if it's if your core audience is women, that's who you're playing to in that particular bit, not to worry about the guys. Mm-hmm. However, there's you should always – I think a great comic always tries to keep everybody in the audience engaged. Like I have a th- – my little process is every five minutes, everybody. So I'll never stay on any topic so long that it lasts five minutes and I haven't engaged everybody in the audience. So if I'm talking about high cholesterol, that's a 50 and up – topic. Mm-hmm. If I've got millennials in the audience, I need to have some punchlines or taglines in those jokes to bring them into the joke so they're not completely left out. Okay. You know what I mean? If I've got jokes about you know, being a dad, well, I realize there's some guys out there that aren't dads, mm-hmm. or there's some guys that are great granddads, but the whole changing a diaper thing doesn't make any, doesn't register with them anymore. Right. So I'm not going to spend more than two or three minutes on that without doing something, a tagline that would reference something that would bring them into it. So what I might suggest is just when you're telling those jokes and you see any pushback or non-response from a guy, I think, what could I say from a guy's perspective in a tagline right now? Right, just follow it up. with. Or do a comparison. Guys, you look pretty lost. It's like this. Say Aaron Rodgers did this or, you know, pick a football or a right. basketball or a working, you know, some tools in the garage. Give them an analogy or a comparison that brings them in. That might make it extra funny. Not only to them, but the wives and spouses and girlfriends. Yeah, awesome. So it's all about trying to keep them all engaged. Mm-hmm. Then when you're only with your people, you can go full bore into the, you know, if you're doing a women's conference, you can go 
right. 100% in, you know they're with you all the way. They're not offended by anything or whatever. But when it's mixed or whatever, or it might be a, you know, the other thing too about as far as squeamish or topics. Yes. Because I didn't, this is something that took me years to figure out. It's so, so easy. But if you're speaking after dinner, there are some things better to put way towards the end of your set than put them right up front. That you would never like. So when I was had kids, I was talking about changing diapers. That wasn't the first thing the audience wanted to hear after they were finishing their chocolate cake. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? But the, if I move the joke to 30 minutes in, they've been warmed up, they don't even think about it. And it just took me a while to realize, let's start off with, so that's where I start off my cholesterol joke. We just got done eating. I couldn't have the steak because I'm cutting back on the cholesterol. I found the right joke to start with. Yes. And it's, sometimes it's just about placement, those two things. Awesome. So I would think about that. If, if the guys are pushing back, what if you did this joke later after they knew you a little bit? Would it get a different response? Mm-hmm. And I guess if it's something that I, I I have the feeling they're not going to follow, but it's going to kill with the women, mm-hmm. then doing the explanation of it in terms of something a man can relate with. And you're yeah. saying just maybe follow it up with that. And then now they're in on it. They feel like they've learned a yeah. secret they didn't know before. I think that'd be great. So. Yeah, as a guy, I would lean in and go, oh, man, she knows oh, she knows football or whatever. And, oh, now I get it. Like, if you could explain to me through f- football or sports terms why you need more than s- four pairs of shoes, I would probably listen and laugh. Right. But if you if you broke it into only terms that women understand about the heel and the this and the, it's got to go with mm-hmm. that. But if you say, you know, you, why do you have seven rifles? Because you have different things you're hunting. That's why women have six different pairs of shoes. They're hunting for, you know what I mean? Right. There might be some way that it parallels. You're like, oh, that's hilarious to everybody. Yeah. I've really, you've helped me a lot too because I've been struggling with um, my teenage boys right now and what value they bring to my life because they're driving me insane. And Mm -hmm. now I'm like, oh, sports knowledge. (laughs) When they don't pick up their socks or, you know, whatever that I'll just, you know, say, okay, you're going to sit down and teach me about sports for a little while as a punishment because boys really love to talk sports with their mom. Right. (laughs) That'll be great. Well, thanks. Yeah. Good question. I've got Amy here. Amy, what's going on? Hey, Rick. Um, so my question is, and you touched on it a little bit um, a minute ago, but I just kind of wonder if you're seeing, do you see a lot of the um, older people that are just getting into comedy or any kind of a success rate with those? I know we have a history of, I have a history in real estate, um, several years in real estate, Um that I could talk about, but not really in a whole full comedy routine or anything, and that's not necessarily my goal. But being older, it's kind of uh, scary to think about getting into it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I'm 50 now, so I'm, I'm probably past halfway, <laughs> to be realistic. But um, you do start feeling this pressure of a clock. Like, man, I got three years to make this or five years to make this or whatever you think you have. Uh, it might be until the kids are out of the house, and then you want to be able to do it full-time, so you've got that number. It's tough to put any of those constraints on it, but the key, I think, in whatever age group you're in, there, there are audiences and there are places where people your age are hanging out. So, like, I wouldn't – the comedy club is good as a, a gym or a workshop and open mics the same way to say, I'm going to try to get into the comedy clubs and, and go full-time at 50. It's not impossible, but if it wouldn't be my goal at 50. It would be to use those places to work things out. And and then, though, where are the people, for your real estate people, you I mean, you know about the real estate conferences, and each state has one, each region has one, each nationwide, each, I mean, there's all the different levels of the, the mortgage brokers have a conference, everything. Right. 
So there's all those places where you could say, hey, I do comedy, and I got a good deal of comedy about this business. And the great thing about that is, with the search of Google, you can find out where those people are. If you type in real estate plus, um, what would you call the, the head person at a real estate agency? The head broker? broker. So real estate plus broker plus conference plus Tennessee, it'll pull up all the conferences. And then you go to Google AdWords and put in real estate, all those same things you just searched, mm-hmm. and you have an ad that goes back to your website. And, and the landing page or the first page that, that connects to shows you telling a real estate joke. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the, the good thing about the day and age we live in is, is you can do exactly that. You can do that with the, your paramedics, your EMTs. You can do that with education, whatever is in the niche within education. And you can find exactly who's out there having conferences they need speakers and you could even explore not branding yourself as a comedian but as a, a humorist or as a you know a funny speaker around the topic of real estate or a specific thing like um, I have a one hour talk about how to turn a hesitant buyer into a buyer that puts in a bid in today because the market's so hot because mm-hmm. everybody's losing houses right because they're waiting too long so you could have a, a whole one hour thing about that but it's gonna be funny throughout and you do that by telling about personal examples or whatever. Okay. So it's just whatever you make your expe- expectation to be at whatever age. You know, you can you can Google it to see if there's an audience. You can develop the material and, and create videos to play the audience. And it's, it's not super simple like a, a funnel or something where it's going to be you spend 100 bucks, you get two gigs. You'll have to work it out and figure it out. So, so specifically, here's a couple of ideas if say you wanted to do that. And you can translate this to the other industries. Okay. A weekly podcast about the misadventures of the real estate aid industry. And you share one. It could be it could be a seven-minute podcast. doesn't have to be half an hour. Okay. You could be – your real estate company could be the sponsor of that podcast. Mm-hmm. Other real estate agents might listen to it because they might have a tidbit that might be a good conversation starter when they're in the car with somebody going to see a house or – when you show up at a house and the potential buyer's doing, you both realize it's not quite what it looked like in the pictures or whatever. I mean, you can write jokes around all those things and just share that one little seven-minute thing. So now when people search speakers on real estate who are funny, oh, here's a seven-minute example every single week. And so now you've got subscribers who you're, you're telling them at the end of the, the episode, and if you need help with your real estate, give us a call. Nice. Okay. Thank so, you. So lots of opportunities. I have this question. This has been something I've been noticing um, in the news and with comedians as a whole. Political correctness and this new movement about shaming is killing comedy. Um, Lenny Bruce fought to get the right to be able to say whatever he wanted to on stage. He was arrested and and um, many times and. He never really got to see the fruits of his labors. The later comedians did. And it's now like we're reverting back to that, where you can't go on stage and say something without you offending someone. When did when did we lose our thick skin? When did we <laughs> stop enjoying comedy? Because if something that somebody says you may not find funny, somebody else may find funny. So why is it you're trying to take that away from other people just because you don't enjoy it? Yeah, it, I think it's a, a layering of, of a lot of different things going on. You know, one is people have like a TMZ mentality. Oh, 
I'm going to tell, like the, the tattletale thing has gotten, when I was a kid, it was, it was a negative thing if you were the tattletale. Oh, yeah. Nobody would hang out with you anymore. Yes. But now there's potential payoff in ratting somebody out and you getting some fa- five minutes of social media fame for showing a clip from a comedy show where a guy was didn't mean anything, but you took it out of context. I mean, I think it first started with Kramer, you know, Kramer, yes. the, Michael Richards, and his, that. that was the first cell phone video. That also now comedians realize, man, I can't even try to find the joke on stage anymore. I have to know what the joke is before I even come in. And the joke has to be clear enough that nobody can take it out of context. But still, you get people not doing the beginning of the setup or the end to where it can be taken out of context. I don't think our rights have changed at all. There's just more accountability for what you say. And I think the other thing that plays into it, which shouldn't be a negative, is the last 10 years or even 15 in comedy, it's it's been the focus on authenticity. Are you who you are on stage, off stage? Now, there's always character comedians, but more so than and Louis C.K. at the beginning of his career, especially was kind of goofy. But then he got to be this is really my point of view. You know, one of the things that first set him kind of apart was, you know, kids are jerks. He basically said, said worse language than that, but yes. you know, wakes me up and you know, needy, and every parent's like, yeah, they are kind of jerks. And that was the first time we heard somebody say kids are jerks. So we we're like, that's new and fresh. And then people started following him, you know. But the reality is, when you say something on stage that seems either ignorant, hateful, racially charged, but you're also known as being authentic, then people can't separate the joke from who you are. Because we've been trained to, to think of, of comics as being authentic people. So if I say something, before I even get to the punchline, if, if it sounds like I really meant that, people assume that I meant that without giving me the benefit of the doubt that we're in a comedy club. And if you give me two more minutes, I'll get to the other side of that joke, which makes fun of me for thinking of that. You know, there's the, the short-term nature of listening, the short attention span. Mm-hmm. People don't even... I mean, most people that get mad at a comedy club never let the comedian finish the bit or get to the next thing and come back to it. And you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they never even give the full experience or the benefit of the doubt to the comedian. So does that change the way you approach comedy? You know, you still have the right to say anything, but you, you always have – you can't stop or protect yourself from repercussions or assumptions people make about what you say. I just think when you write a joke, you have to know – do I really feel this way? And if I don't, I need to frame it up this way. I mean, if I had a joke where I knew the punchline was hilarious, but it came from a point of view that wasn't mine, I would say, my cousin Jim says this about the wall or about whatever. And then if the audience didn't like what he said, I'm with you guys. He's an idiot for saying that. But I got to say the joke. You know what I'm saying? Yes. There's ways around it. But the the... The long, the short answer to your to your joke, to your question was, you know, you're, you're never free from repercussions, so you just have to be better articulated on stage. I've noticed that what's happened has caused some of the comedians to actually change how they perform. I've been to a couple comedy shows lately, and uh, comedians will lock your phones up. Yeah, because of what happened with Michael Kramer and other instances, and the idea is that you're here to enjoy a show. Um, you're not here trying to get evidence you know right, right. you're here to laugh and have a good time and and i understand why a comedian does that and my food favorite two comedians are dave Chappelle and ralphie may and ralphie was known for being edgy he's going to push the limits he's going to go right to the very edge and he's going to talk about things that make people uncomfortable but he's going to tell it in a way that makes you laugh something that you may have never seen or thought about before his point of view is funny 
but it's also edgy, and he lets you know that. Mm-hmm. Not everyone likes that style, but the people who don't should not take it away from the people who do. Right. And I've always said it's like this. Treat it like Burger King. You can have it your way. When you go on the subway, you can order whatever meat, whatever bread, whatever cheese and toppings you want. Just because you want something doesn't mean that's what somebody else wants. If I like a certain style of comedy or if this is the style of comedy I prefer to perform, if you don't like my comedy, don't come see me. But others who do, they will. They will by supporting me and buying a ticket. Right. And that's where it should be. It's just this whole shaming thing and putting people up on video. Now, I'm not against, I'm not for people who do wrong, Louis C.K. There are some people who are just flat wrong, and that doesn't have anything to do with their bits. That's extracurricular. But it's just the whole, it's just the whole, I'm just worried about. I, I noticed that uh, um, Seinfeld was talking about that. Mm-hmm. He said that uh, the way society is going, it's ruining comedy from when he was out in the clubs doing it. And sure. It's just, I'm concerned about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing of all this is you're already aware of it before you start a comedy. Yes. So, so you know when you write a joke, and and we did an opinions episode, uh, assignment last week. I wanted you to see both sides of, of every issue. Yes. So you can write jokes for both sides in case the audience starts to turn on you. And I think if you frame it as we're having a discussion, like Ralphie was good, we're having a discussion. I'm not saying this way it has to be or even should be, but this is the way it is, and we might want to change it. And so you're framing it in a, in a way that there's, there's no, less animosity People are always going to push back if they want to push back, but I don't. I don't know where we came from as a society that we have to be so judgmental and think people are wrong if they have a different opinion. I mean, we we saw it on a Facebook page recently where people just like going at each other like over something that's totally innocuous and 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 it was funny to start with. It wasn't politically charged and really either way it was just calling something what it was. And so it's it's weird. It may be that parenting failed the past twenty years and. When your kid says, I don't want to eat this for dinner, and you go, okay, what do you want? And you make every decision around what your kid wants instead of, we're having pizza, we're having chicken, and you're having broccoli. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to cook you another meal because you don't feel like it just because I'm worried about you not eating. You'll get hungry enough you're going to eat the block broccoli. Oh, yeah. But I think as a society, we've done that. And then all these groups and associations and, and watchdogs and stuff just won't let people be people and make mistakes. You know, It's one thing. if you had, It all comes down to intent to me, too. If my intent was to be racist, then I'm wrong. If my intent was to have a discussion about race, then I should be able to have that discussion. Um, if my intent was to make you mad at me on purpose instead of to make you laugh, then I've lost sight of what my okay. my view of the comedian. There are comedians that that's their thing. They want to walk the room. I mean, Bill Hicks wanted to walk. He wanted nobody to be left at the end of the night. That was his goal. If there was 10 people left, he'd like, ah, I got something in common with you guys. I hate you guys. You know, so it's all about intent to me. But you also have... You know, some responsibility of, of knowing the possible repercussions and then framing the joke to where you can get out what you want to say. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that after school special. A few insightful questions from a few students after a recent writing class. Again, if you want to take the writing class online, you can go to schooloflast.com, click on the online classes link and learn more about that. For live classes, you can check there too, although right now nothing is scheduled due to a pretty busy schedule of my own right now. 
Matter of fact, if you'd like to come see me live, a couple of opportunities coming right around the corner. In fact, day of release, Friday, February 1st, I'll be warming up the audiences just north of Nashville at the Huckabee Show. And I'll do that again on the 7th, as well as the 8th of March and the 12th of March. So if you want to come see me in action, hang out, see a show, listen to some music, be part of a TV taping, uh, just shoot me an email, schooloflast at gmail.com. I'll let you know how you can get tickets to that. And I might be able to uh, meet up with you for a little coffee or maybe a snack if you're in New Orleans around February 12th, if you're in Birmingham, Alabama on the 15th of February, if you're anywhere near St. George, Utah, that's right, beautiful part of Utah right there, uh, late February 26, 27, and 28, or Las Vegas on the 26th, I can meet up with you there as well. In March, I'll be in uh, Melbourne, Florida, just outside of Orlando, Des Moines. And then March 15th, recording a, a dry bar special out in Provo, Utah. So if you're out in that area, we'd love to have you come to the taping. Anyway, those are some places I will be. Maybe if you're in that area, you can pop out and say, hey, just like Jeremy Lee did uh, when I was out in the Seattle area. Got to see um, Jeremy meet one of the guys who's taking my online class. Uh, he's getting into comedy, comedy with the purpose, it sounds like, and got to hang out with him and his family after a show where we are raising some funds and awareness for a good cause. So that was it's always cool to, to meet people that are listeners to the podcast or taking the online class or doing both. kind of just uh, keeps me connected to doing the podcast when I get to see the ears on the head and the face of the people that are checking it out. So always enjoy meeting anybody who's into comedy. Lastly, a quick quote today. I heard this the other day. I don't know what podcast it was on, but it was it was really a great quote. And it's Steve Earle, the mu- musician Steve Earle. He said, people don't care what you've been through. Hmm? People care about what you've been through that they can connect with, that they can identify with. So I think that's a great quote. If you're a comedian, sometimes we tend to get on stage and rant And then we look out to blank faces and stares and nothing. And what we were ranting about really was authentic to us and really was something that we're passionate about. And then we realized nobody else cares about it. And to me, uh, you can keep that joke and struggle with it for years to come if you want. But you can move on to something else, maybe something that is uh, really a driving force behind the way you feel and the way you think every day, but also is a topic that is connectable, that can connect with your audience. Don't try to force a square peg into the rectangle. Find something that you're passionate about, that you can discuss, that your audience can jump on board with. So audiences don't care what you've been through. They care about what you've been through they can relate to. Love that quote by Steve Earle, and I'm going to keep that in mind as I write material. Thanks again to Scott Love. Thanks again to all y'all for listening. Man, it's... uh, it's been fun. been doing the podcast for a while. I think I'll do it for a few more months here at least. I do have another podcast in the pipeline that I'll tell you about sometime down the road a little bit. But i um, got another thing on my horizon that I'm looking forward to doing. And at that point, I may have to make a decision whether to continue this one or not. So, you know, if you do enjoy this podcast, I would love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to have uh, iTunes reviews so I can see that there's momentum of, of new listeners. Maybe you've been listening for a while but haven't uh, jumped on and, and left a review. Uh, some encouragement there 
would go a long way in uh, helping me realize there's a need out there for the podcast and the people that are digging it can leave a review at School of Laughs on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you download it. But we'd love to see that. Do have an iTunes review I'd like to share before we head off today. It says, this is the best podcast I ever listened to. I learned so much being a new comic and will continue to listen till the end. If you are a beginner and don't have a clue on how, who, when, where, why, or when to start comedy, then I suggest you listen. Hey, if you can just leave me something like that on iTunes, man, it really makes my day. Thank you guys very much. Keep up the great work and stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.